What's up, everybody? This is FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan, and joining me today on this Fly Me to the Valorant edition of the podcast is Nick, pro reborn Sacadelis of Carnage Clan. Hi. Nick is also senior editor of I Play COD and Project Valorant. On today's show, we'll be talking about Fortnite's epic Travis Scott concert, as well as Smash's first online tournament. But first, Sinatra, leaving the San Francisco shock and will join Sentinels as part of its new Valorant team. If Sentinels sounds familiar, it's the same team that works with Booga, the Fortnite World Cup champion. This was obviously a shock to the esports world, and Nick is here to break it down. So Nick, when you first heard this news, what was your reaction? This is definitely not a good look for the Overwatch League and could essentially be a PR nightmare in terms of the competitive integrity of Overwatch as well as serve as an imaging problem for the future of the game in its competitive circuit. I think overall, Overwatch as a product won't be too affected with their player base overall. Uh, This kind of happens with games, you have people who get burnt out and decide to switch games, and with Valorant being as lucrative as it is right now, there are a ton of pro players that want to play that game, they have a passion for it, and uh, it really has resonated well with a lot of players. The big issue that I'm seeing with players, especially in a structured tournament or in a structured league, This is probably going to create issues for the future or long term because now we have to think about players game hopping essentially and how that could overall affect a league, a brand, or an entire season of a very expensive league like the Overwatch League. And you mentioned that it was very lucrative for uh, Sinatra to move over to Valorant, but you know, it's reported that he was being paid $150,000 as a starting salary when he jumped into the Overwatch League. So one, we have to assume that Sentinels is willing to pay more than, you know, what he made after, you know, he won uh, Overwatch League Season 2. What do you make of all of this? Like, is there really that much money being poured into Valorant? This could be very disastrous for all of the players involved, but... Valorant looks very promising and a lot of top tier creators and a lot of top tier organizations are already jumping on the wagon. As we know with the LCS, Riot does not mess around. They're backed by Tencent, they have a ton of funds allocated towards the esports world and they could definitely create a league very similar to the CDL and the Overwatch League. We've seen it before with uh, structures like how CSGO is going right now. Granted, it's not going to be going towards the same type of tournament style that Overwatch has created or the CDL has created, but those are very big popping esports areas. And I think that's what all of these players are comparing it to. I think that the players in the leagues are looking at player numbers or actually viewer numbers, and they're looking at overall just earnings. And I think that they're thinking that this game is going to be a lot like CSGO. So in comparison, that excites a lot of them and that probably ignites a fire in them competitively that Overwatch just doesn't give them anymore because they're burned out. And, you know, speaking of burnout, uh, Sinatra did mention in a tweet, quote, I straight up lost passion for the game. Ultimately, I wanted to do what's right for me. I want to thank NRG Shock and Owl for giving me a chance to make my dreams come true. So, you know, he cites Burnout himself. Overwatch is a game that kind of, you know, has been going through its ebbs and flows of content patches and making the community and the competitive base annoyed at times. But, you know, there is an Overwatch 2 coming out. There was hope that, you know, the game would be refreshed. But even if an announcement like this, like, does this completely steal the thunder for an Overwatch 2? Yeah, in my opinion, the way that they've been running the marketing for Overwatch 2 hasn't been effective either. Normally, when you announce something like that, you do it right before the product ships, and it just has been way too long from the announcement to the actual shipping of the product. If they had just said Overwatch 2 is coming, insert date, 
then it would have been much easier than how it is right now like it's coming soon they should have just attached a date to it relatively soon after the announcement and that would have created more traction and more hype for the game and more excitement right now i think just all of the players in overwatch are burnt out they're frustrated they don't know when this overwatch 2 is coming and that overall in itself is just creating a bigger problem for the game in general I mean, when I first saw the news, I was like, well, this obviously doesn't bode particularly well for a league that always had kind of legitimacy in question, being that it was kind of really bulldozed in by Activision Blizzard, and they really didn't have that same like type of organic growth that we're kind of seeing more with Valorant. And then ever since then, it's always just been about these are Overwatch League's numbers, and they just continuously go down and down. I mean, you know, there are big bumps, like let's say the first match of the season, or the you know the big grand finals type thing but still you know its numbers really do pale in comparison to a lot of games that it's trying to be competitive with you know like a league of legends like a dota like a cs and then with valor just coming in and blazing right through i can see how overwatch really needs to like just do something really drastic to put itself back into the i don't know the ethos of all gamers that are wanting to watch esports content Let's say Sinatra does jump on and, you know, uh, Slasher did make the joke online that, hey, you know, in this game, you actually have to aim. If Sinatra doesn't really perform as well as he would like to in a competitive setting now that you're in Valorant, now you're competing with like former CS players and uh, other FPS players. Do you think that there's always room for him to maybe jump back into the Overwatch League, you know, whether with the Shock or any other team? So if there's a lot of game hopping, this is the one thing that I've been worried about when it comes to formal kind of esports game hopping is not going to be very healthy for the space it's going to create a lot of issues for pr and a lot of issues for game images when you have professional players hopping between games like that especially when something new and hot comes out and they jump on it and they want to jump back this all comes back to a league level right if he wants to jump back to the overwatch league this is a structured league with teams it's a very successful system in terms of keeping the players consistent taking care of the players ensuring that there's some type of viewer base that they'll always have i know youtube is smaller but it's a smaller viewer base but at least it's consistent or staying around a healthy amount of numbers for at least the leagues to function right you have the players who are guaranteed a certain amount of money they are guaranteed salaries they're guaranteed comfort and they have the structure of the system to fall back on that's very difficult for the companies to set up and maintain if you have players jumping ship from games and just leaving it that's going to create more problems for a league that took so long to create so in my opinion at least this is going to start a catalyst for probably exclusivity contracts for professional competing in games maybe In the future, we'll see contracts that pros sign when they join leagues like the Overwatch League and the CDL to where they have to play the game for a certain amount of years competitively, aka they can't join other leagues. So maybe that'll get looped into the contracts. But overall, I think it's good for games in terms of like getting attention to them that players are game swapping, but it's not good for health of the esports industry if people are just hopping between games. It doesn't, it's not a good look for us. And, you know, the Overwatch League did put out a very blanket statement saying, quote, we appreciate the great play and personality that Sinatra brought to the community. We'll miss him, and we also wish him the best for the future. Uh, But I do agree. I mean, the reason why Sinatra didn't jump to NRG, the parent company for the San Francisco Shock, is because there was a clause in the contract that prevented him from doing so. So that's why he had to, you know, make a a 
a lateral jump to a different team as part of a completely different organization. And yeah, I do agree that now leagues will have to really bake in terms in their contract that prevent players from, you know, jumping onto the next big game and, you know, cashing in on the next big thing. Uh, when maybe these leagues feel that, hey, we invested a lot of money into this person, help develop this person as a part of this league and be a personality part of this league. And then for them to just kind of go away. Uh, you know, it's like they made their brand on this game and now they're going to cash in on another league. I'm interested in seeing, uh, one, if other players decide to leave the Overwatch League. Uh, I mean, we've, we're already seeing some departures from Fortnite. But two, you know, let's jump in on some of these earnings calls, right? I mean, I know the last earnings call, I, which I listened to on Activision Blizzard, investors were asking about the Overwatch League. And Bobby Kotick did assure them that, you know, things were looking good, that they're doing their expansion, that they really do want esports to become a big thing. So their investors are also paying attention. And if the big news for Overwatch League, you know, in months has been that their top player has just left, I can see that, you know, investors might be a little worried right now. I'd be worried if I were them as well. In general, I've talked a lot about like the CDL and the Overwatch League having that exclusivity deal with YouTube and how that dropped the player count. And I definitely wish as a person who watches the leagues that they would switch over to Twitch, at least for viewer numbers. But players need to be more appreciative of the security that these leagues offer. I think players want the leagues to pop up in every single game that exists right now, and I think that Riot has room to emulate the same system that Activision's created, because in all honesty, that is one of the best systems. Now, that does leave a lot of headroom for other orgs to pop up, for a more kind of condensed AM scene to pop up. The problem is, is that there's two little teams, right, in the CDL and the Overwatch League. The issue with that, of course, is just size and buy-in, but we all know that all of those players have security and they have what they need in order to be successful in the space guaranteed to them. That's hard to emulate in other scenes if they don't become successful. What Valorant needs is a successful, consistent player base, and the thing about Valorant is it very well could be just like Overwatch. It could die out. Everyone knows this. This happens with every game. Remember when Overwatch came out and people were buying codes on eBay to get into the beta for like $800? Valorant has the exact same, maybe not to the same extent in terms of drops and codes. This is a very cut and dry, same situation as Overwatch. Overwatch shattered the industry, blew expectations out of the water, and here we are now again with another IP and people are hopping towards it. This happens all the time. There's new IPs that come out. People are excited to it. People hop. You know, the last time I hung out with Andy, uh, you know, the owner of the NRG of NRG and the San Francisco Shock, it was right after Shock had won the finals in Philadelphia last year. You know, as I was hanging out with him, he was telling me about some of the difficulties in like having a Counter Strike league, and he's been very, very, very vocal about this online. And essentially, that you know, if Counter Strike players are asking such and such money. But, you know, let's say viewership and sponsorships only bringing such and such money, then like how does a business model make sense? With Overwatch League, there's a bit more of a structure. You obviously have Activision Blizzard, you know, pouring money into it. But, you know, I do wonder, like the next time I speak with them, I'm sure uh, journalists are just waiting to answer, like or ask the one question, like, what does this all mean? And I think we, you and I, have to be, I don't know, I guess we just have to be really diligent in like forcing that kind of answer out of these team owners. With that, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, Overwatch League might not be the only one in trouble. The FGC had to move online when Pound, a long-standing Smash tournament, had to also move to the internet. For that, we have Team Liquid's Kashan Chillin' Dude Khan. 
Kashan is a long-standing member of the Smash community and was one of the hosts for Pound Online. Kashan, thanks for jumping on the show. Hey, how's it going? Kashan, how was Pound Online? I think it was great and kind of what the community needed right now. I think the community in general is really starved for competition, not only the competitors themselves, but also the viewers really want to see competition. Obviously, with the quarantine happening, in-person tournaments are a thing of the past, at least at the moment. And so Pound Online was kind of the closest thing to a major tournament that we can really have, given the circumstances. And I think with a few hiccups that are understandable, trying to run an online event of that size... Aside from that, it actually turned out really well and was definitely great for the community in general. Yeah, it's it's kind of this weird place where the fighting games community is in. You know, League of Legends, Call of Duty League, Overwatch League have all been able to transition from an at-home model and still be able to compete. I mean, yes, there is latency, but those games can still function without having to have, like, frame-accurate play. Fighting games, on the other hand, have really do suffer from not having, like, perfect frame accuracy. And on- and online play was kind of in question for a lot of people, like, how well or how viable is it to have these online tournaments? And, you know, we did see some hiccups, at least on the ultimate end, right? For example, Grayson, uh, he got DQ'd from the tournament, even though leading up to the tournament, he was showing his uh, lag tests or his ping tests, and they were coming in great. But when the actual tournament took place, there was a bit too much lag. And then even though he ended up winning, he ended up getting disqualified. Uh, What do you make of all of that? Yeah, I think on Ultimate's end, honestly, it could potentially be worse than Melee. Even though Melee is a faster-paced game, I think that just the netcode for Ultimate is very, very troublesome for a lot of people to deal with um, in terms of the latency, the lag that it adds. And so it's unfortunate to hear about that, that Grayson situation for sure. Um, but given that it's an online event, there are going to be factors to take into consideration around the lag, and you kind of just have to roll with the punches. I don't necessarily agree with how that particular situation was handled, but again, it's a lot of this stuff kind of lacks a precedent here. We're not used to running online tournaments that have so much at stake normally there have been online tournaments of course in the past before this quarantine thing but they were kind of just more so for fun or for practice and everyone kind of understood that this is not you know the the main form of competition that we do but at the moment it kind of has become the main form of competition because that's all we really have to work with so i think because of the lack of precedent, it makes it kind of tricky to deal with the situations that arise from someone being laggy or something like that. But just kind of got to do what whatever we can do to work around that. And that's pretty much what happened there. I mean, to illustrate just kind of how crazy the online lag is for a game like Ultimate, people actually argue that there should be a separate tier list for online play where characters maybe like Sheik or Fox or these more intricate characters that rely on fast gameplay can't really function in Smash Ultimate Online and therefore like should work on a completely different paradigm. It's a really bizarre situation. And, you know, I continuing on with like uh, online, it was kind of going viral, though. Laid versus Wrath match when essentially they were both just kind of like teabagging uh, in the middle of the match because the lag was just so bad. I, mm-hmm. Now, I mean, on your end, you know, you're a competitor, you represent a big organization. I know it's frustrating for these pro players to be put in this situation, but when you see people just literally messing around in the middle of a tournament, what's your immediate reaction? It kind of takes away from the integrity of competition and 
it's kind of understandable because of the lag and it takes away from the competitive environment sort of makes it feel less important or less significant who actually wins a particular match if there's a ton of lag involved so i can see from the player's point of view but as a viewer seeing something like that it obviously kind of turns you off from wanting to watch a competitive event where not even the players can take it seriously because of the lag so it it's unfortunate to see but i kind of understand from both sides and you know the the fgc is really put in this difficult position because i mean money at the fgc already wasn't great to begin with and now that you put Corona on top of that, where people can't even compete to begin with, I mean, what is the situation for players right now? I mean, I'm not talking about maybe the the, the top players that are backed by the Liquids or the Cloud9s or the TSMs, but the people maybe in lower tier organizations that really do rely on tournament winnings, how are they surviving through all of this? I think the main thing that most people have turned to is streaming, because streaming provides a form of income that you can do regardless of quarantine and it's kind of a fallback for players that if they are trying to focus on making you know all of their income through smash then they kind of have to find other avenues right now to do it whether it's streaming or content creation via youtube or whatever else there's only so much that you really can do to continue the flow of income during the quarantine if you know if you were relying on tournament winnings which quite a few players did of course there's online tournament winnings but then online results are much less consistent even than the in-person tournaments so that's difficult to rely on for that reason too so i think for the people that have streaming or content creation to fall back on they're not doing too badly but for players that maybe don't have that to fall back on and did rely on tournament winnings they're probably struggling at the moment you know, when I think about kind of the younger generation, so you and I, you know, we're millennials, we're older millennials. Uh, the younger generation that maybe is, you know, having to skip school for the next potential year or two until this entire thing, you know, ramps down until there's a vaccine and how that might affect their education and their futures moving forward. But then if we also look at that from maybe a young player's perspective who's like maybe 14, 15, wanting to make it in Ultimate or Melee, and there's no way to really compete adequately. I mean, how badly do you think that will affect the careers of these potential Smash players? I mean, will they then just say, you know, screw this, I'm going to move on over to Valorant or whatever big game is out? Yeah, it could be. I mean, it, depending on how long this quarantine really goes for, if there's several more months without an, you know, a major in-person tournament, then I could definitely see people's motivation for Smash declining. Being that, as you mentioned before, we can't really compete online in the same way that we can offline. We really rely on those events as the kind of main you know, indicator of who's good at the game. The main form of competition has always been the in-person events for Smash. So if that doesn't happen for a really long time, then I could definitely see some people getting demotivated, some people moving on. Some people, like Zane, for example, who won Pound Online, I think are hungrier than ever and they're just trying to use this time to just grind as much as they can stay in shape and be ready on the other end of quarantine to come out you know without missing a beat but i think for many players myself included with the lack of in-person tournaments on the horizon it's definitely a lot easier to kind of slack off on the practice or it doesn't even really feel like you're slacking off because there's nothing in particular you're preparing for necessarily 
So there's just it's definitely easy to lose motivation to practice, to grind the game, and to stay good with the whole quarantine thing happening. I hope that it doesn't affect too many young players who you know didn't have too much of a, an opportunity to compete prior to this, and now their only choice is to compete online. I hope that you know they don't get too discouraged by that and end up quitting Smash or moving on to another game or anything like that. But I could certainly see that happening also. But again, it's it's kind of just a matter of how long exactly this really does go on for. Because if it goes on for just a couple more months, then I think it could all get back to normal relatively quickly. But if it goes on for too much longer than that, then I think it could have a significant impact on the community for sure. You know, I, when I was tuning into the competition, I think the level of at least the melee competition, I mean, it wasn't necessarily at the same fluidity that we expect from an in-person competition, but it was still an entertaining uh, match to watch between, like, Zane and Hungrybox. Uh, you know, I guess my final question for you is, for the next online tournament, what kind of changes would you like to see to the structure? Would you like to make it more regionalized so that people are dealing, aren't dealing with, like, cross-country pings or anything like that? I mean, what are some changes? Yeah, I do think that Pound Online was very ambitious with trying to do just a full worldwide online event that anyone could enter, and it was all one major bracket. And I like kind of just trying that out, but I think we clearly saw in some of the coast-to-coast matches that the lag was not really fit for a competitive environment. So I would like to see it kind of separated by region, even just doing, you know, East Coast and West Coast, and then, you know, the states in between can kind of fall to one side or the other. I think just splitting it up even that much would help a ton in terms of lag. Aside from that, I think a lot of players just need to get more used to kind of playing the online competition because there was a lot of downtime in between sets. And I think that's more on the players just trying to get them together and get them situated to actually play their match various kind of aspects to it not only on the players end but also on the streamers end that they need to have everything set up before they can actually start a set so if all that gets a little bit smoother i think the online tournaments will go a lot better as well but definitely agree with the region locks for online tournaments in general i think that's pretty key for smash especially thanks kashan and for our last story of the week fortnite held an epic in-game concert with travis scott for that, we have ESPN's Arda Ochil. Arda, I assume you had a chance to check out the whole Travis Scott concert within Fortnite. What were your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts were that they hit a home run. And I would go so far as to say that every time Fortnite does a collaboration like this, it is seen very positively. I've seen pretty much all of them by this point, And I would say that they improve every single time. And if there's one thing that Fortnite and Epic Games are doing really, really well, it is these collaborations with brands and movies, entertainment entities, athletes, celebrities. I I have been saying for a while now that Fortnite will become like a late night talk show stop, that any celebrity or any brand with any value that have something to promote will want to partner with Fortnite and make it like a I'm going on a late night talk show and I'm also going on Fortnite and I'm doing this circuit that circuit and Fortnite is a part of it we're already there and Travis Scott was another example of a very successful collaboration the musical journey that they called it I would say that that was the most immersive experience as a user as well you were able to walk around and bounce around swim around it was a very multi-sensory performance And it was 
very, very well done. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that entire performance was, like you said, the immersion of it. Like When I first heard the news, I said, well, you know, what's the big deal? Like, okay, it's just going to be Travis Scott playing his music in the game. I, I kind of didn't grasp it. And then when I saw the actual video, I was really stunned and taken aback by how nuts, like, the creative team at Epic Games went with it. And, you know, I assume that Scott himself had quite a bit of input with how it all came together. I would guess, I don't know too much about the process that they used, but I would assume that it was very collaborative between Epic Games and the celebrity that they're working with, in this case, Travis Scott. The way that it unfolded, I thought, was very impressive. You start on the sit stage, and then this big spherical object hits the earth, and then you get pushed back. Travis Scott emerges as this gargantuan figure, and then you get a medley of his tracks, and each track has a different setting. Some of them are in the sky and space. Your feet become trampolines and you're bouncing everywhere. One of them, you're underwater. It, it, it's multi-sensory. It was, it was a light show combined with an anti-gravity effect, combined with multiple different scene changes and Travis Scott all at the middle. So, I mean, I, I even got some reaching out to me after the fact. There was a ripple effect for this as well. It wasn't just the fact that Travis Scott had over 27 million people or pardon me epic games and fortnite had 27 million people in the game viewing these experiences across multiple showings pandora noted to me that as a result of this directly related to the fortnite performances his artist station added increased 540 percent week over week you know like that was direct cause of the fortnite effect so to speak and his streams increased 124 percent week over week and he's the number two most added artist station this week all as a result of this musical journey experience collaborating with Epic Games and Fortnite. Yeah, I'm really interested in how it all came together. Maybe that's something I should start looking into. And, you know, speaking of the numbers, we're looking at how many people actually did tune in. We're hearing upwards of 28 million people coming in to view this, like, video game concert. I can see this being, like, a paradigm shift moment for the music industry, right? One, for them to kind of embrace how interactive gaming can be uh, and music can come together where do you think music moves forward when it collaborates with esports i'll tell you from my point of view i don't want to experience a concert any differently than what i did with the travis scott experience i did not know a second of travis scott's music before this and that was one of the best musical experiences i've ever had any concert I could have been at a Metallica concert, and this ranks with it simply because of the sensory experience, simply because of being immersed in the moment. It really showed people what is possible, and that's what's exciting about it. It was the same thing with the Star Wars activation. It was the same thing with the Marshmallow concert when that happened a year and, and, and change ago, with the Fortnite World Cup even. It just seems like Epic Games is able to successfully push the boundaries on what the norms are and shift paradigms change paradigms and after you watch the travis scott experience you will want to consume your favorite bands in the exact same manner that, that was my first tweet to epic games i tagged donald mustard who's one of the executives at the company and i said can we have metallica do this please <laughs> metallica is my favorite band and 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 i would love nothing more than to enjoy an experience like that with my favorite bands because I enjoyed it so much with an artist that I was not familiar with at all. So that to me is a mark of how impressive this truly is.
Yeah, and I think it could be an interesting area in which bands that um, skew a little older, right? Because Travis Scott is, you know, he himself is a millennial. You know, he's of a younger generation, and he's playing this concert within Fortnite, which also skews younger. Now, could there be a possibility of, like, let's say Metallica or of, like, a Rolling Stones to come together to create this collaboration and then, you know, reach an audience that's much younger? Because, you know, the, the music that they've created is you know worthy of listening to and is excellent and worthy of appreciation it all comes down to like if this can happen i believe it can i believe that enough a-list celebrities athletes artists brands look at this and say we need to be a part of this the numbers don't lie we mentioned it already 27 plus million it already had broken the record after the first performance i think it was in excess of 13 million and the record was about a million or so shy from that. I believe it was the Marshmallow concert that had set that previously. And these activations are all in the millions. That is very lucrative eyeballs that can get in front of artists, especially when they have something to push. I wrote an article about it covering it on ESPN Esports, and I asked Dr. Lupo what he thought because he's obviously very dialed into this world and has seen all of the previous experiences as well. And he said, it's incredible what Epic continues to do with in-game events. Honestly, giving in-person concerts a run for their money at this point, insane. And I can't agree more. I, I, I truly believe that Fortnite and Epic Games are creating a new medium for artists to be able to express themselves. And then it got me thinking, Imad, about what the future will hold. The first thing that I thought of was WWE. I could absolutely see WWE holding an event in Fortnite. And what I mean by that is, imagine you land at Risky Reels, and now you're, and, and this is a collaboration that exists already, them working with Quibi, so you can watch shows at Risky Reels. Now let's generalize that. Imagine you land at Risky Reels, and it's WrestleMania or a special event, WWE Cross Fortnite and you have a couple of matches that have been pre-recorded or even they're live and you're watching them on a screen at Risky Reels. But then you have a couple of cinematic matches. At WrestleMania, we saw a cinematic match between Undertaker and AJ Styles in a Boneyard match, for example. Bray Wyatt and John Cena as well. Well, Fortnite lends itself perfectly to a match like that, to be able to create an immersive visual experience where suddenly the audience is almost involved more than they ever have been. It's a 360 degree visual, audio, sensory immersion with WWE at its core. I just think that's one example of the type of collaborations that are now possible and people are already thinking about. I really think the next two years are going to be very, very creative for Epic Games. And I think in recent, you know, now with Valorant and all these other games, you know, no one game can continue to maintain that like level of top dominance that it once had. And even Fortnite 2 saw its player base drop in the latter half of 2019 and coming into 2020. Do you think this could become a new revenue stream for Epic Games to essentially collaborate with the music industry or whatever other industries and bring in more cash flow. The thing there is that Fortnite sets such a high precedent, right? In terms of refreshing the game, in-game content, it's still very lucrative for streamers to be Fortnite streamers. I don't think that's ever going to go away unless the game stops updating. That's when it gets stale, and we saw that with Apex Legends. Remember February 2019? It had a monster release. There were top streamers playing it. Marketing dollars were being put towards making sure that the biggest names in streaming and content creation were doing things all around Apex Legends, and it proved to be fruitful. I think it was in the tens of millions of users in the first month. The challenge was after that, they were not updating the game or refreshing the game 
as frequently as other titles like Fortnite, and that's where the decline started to happen. So that's two separate trees, I think. I think that, or two separate branches, I should say. One of them is the collaboration branch, where we're talking about Travis Scott's astronomical type events, or we're talking about the Star Wars events, that kind of thing. I believe that if that happens once every couple months, or even once a month, I think that that's feasible and that's promising. And that would bring people back. I can only imagine how many lapsed Fortnite players came back to watch this. I would say that it was a hefty amount. And so that will definitely continue with these kind of collaborations, especially with artists and brands that you like. Now, as it pertains to other games, Valorant is in a different sphere in the sense that it has the possibility to be the best FPS esport. Now, Fortnite has a hold in the West. It does not have much of a footprint in the East. Valorant, meanwhile, created by Riot Games, which does have an existing game that has captured global attention in League of Legends in China, in the rest of Asia, in Europe, in North America, it has the opportunity to have Valorant succeed at the same level. And if it can do that, then Valorant will have longevity. Valorant will have staying power, particularly as an esport. And their approach is a very good one. Allow the community to, to uh, drive the competition for the next year or two until an official esport is announced and released. And I think that Riot has the blueprint for global success, but also longevity, because League of Legends proves that. And Valorant is a good game. That's the other thing. It's easy to play. It's easy to learn, difficult to master. It's fun to play. And it's not a battle royale. It is a different type of game, very uh, reminiscent of CSGO, uh, which hasn't had a sequel in how many years now. So the time is right for a game like Valorant to succeed, both as a casual game, but also as a competitive one. Hmm. And with those insights, thank you so much, Arda. Anytime. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and leave a review on the podcast service of your choice. If you want to follow Nick, you can find him on Twitter at ProReborn_YT and his work over at iPlayCod and Project Valorant. If you're interested in following the Smash scene, be sure to follow Kashan at Liquid Chillin. If you'd like to follow Arda and all the work he does at ESPN, he can be found on Twitter at Arda. You can follow me over on Twitter at Imad and my writing over at The New York Times, The Washington Post, and ESPN. Our producer is Annie Pei, and she can be found at Pei underscore Annie on Twitter. And our researcher is Ron Lyons. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.